This is the Average Gang Network, and you have found financial tech in the Guide Rock Capital Management Commentary recorded on September 18th, 2013. host Jim Carlson broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios. Actually, I say that every week, but the last three we've been on here at the Gallup campus doing it uh, doing it live on the Gallup campus. And, of course, we post the show each week, including the written commentary that Andrew puts out each and every week over at the AverageGuy.tv. Financial Tech brings you the latest market commentary from the award-winning Andrew Hunt, CFP and president of Guide Rock Capital Management, located right here in Omaha, Nebraska. If you'd like to receive a free copy of the written commentary in advance, and you get those on Mondays. That's great. Andrew gets those out each week. Or receive a free copy. I already said that. Send your questions or comments to Andrew. Send them Andrew underscore Hunt at GuideRockCapital.com. Happy Wednesday morning to you, Andrew. Great to see you. How are you? Great to be seen. Glad to be here. And uh, I'm, I'm doing really well. You know, we've had a, a nice cool off here in Omaha. Um, it's been, it was uh, like I'm um, just completely unbearably hot for a while, and you know today and yesterday it was in the 60s and 70s, and we'll take it. I'm excited about it. Great place to be. Omaha's a great place to be. 80 degrees. I'm just saying. That's right. That's right. It's gonna be good. Okay. Well, baseball great Yogi Berra once said, "In theory, there is no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is." <laughs> you may have been onto something there. Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke introduced the idea of the Fed's economic stimulus program known as quantitative easing, or QE, which we talk a ton of on this show. Um, he, he introduced the idea that they might be ratcheting down that program sooner rather than later. <clears throat> the concept that easy money, uh, which the Fed has injected uh, about $2.75 trillion with a T dollars into financial markets during the past five years, could soon be behind us through global markets into a complete tizzy fit. It was crazy. Uh, starting in June, the markets just, uh, especially bonds, uh, just started going nuts, and uh, it, was, it was really a big deal. Well, expectations that interest rates and in more developed economies would move higher as QE tapered off caused investors to pull money from emerging markets, where a lot of people had sought higher returns. This created challenges in emerging countries with large current account deficits. And of course, a deficit that uh, occurs when total imports exceed total exports, um, and that makes a country a debtor nation. And that's what's happened in a lot of these emerging economies. So what will happen when the Fed actually begins to buy fewer bonds? Um, they're supposed to make an announcement in the next couple of days here. They're meeting, in fact, today and tomorrow, and we should hear some news. So we, we're, there's a lot of speculation on what's going to happen. Well, pundits are mixed on their opinions, and some believe markets may become more volatile. Others believe markets have already factored in, factored in the effects of tapering, and uh, you know it's built into the current uh, environment. <clears throat> well, in August, the Financial Times described it this way: "Quote, the beginning of the end for QE matters greatly, as for the past five years, central banks led by the Fed have actively encouraged investors to pile into risky assets." With QE suppressing interest rates and, more importantly, the volatility of prices, investors duly obliged and sought risky assets. Now, with the Fed thinking about reversing some support, this summer's turmoil may be a taste of what's coming in the form of higher long-term bond yields and market volatility. 
Some will argue the Fed's taper is pretty much reflected by the sharp rise we have seen in long-term Treasury yields since May. Well, we'll know more when the Federal Open Market Committee announces uh, its decision here in the next couple of days. Over time, however, it may not be all that easy to quantify the effects of more accommodative mon monetary policy in the United States. If that's what the Fed chooses to do this week, th there's a ton of flashpoints that could affect the markets as well, including the economic stressors in emerging markets, decisions on Syria, and the upcoming Washington budget battles. You know, we're, we're, we're approaching a, a debt ceiling here that Congress has to raise in the next couple of weeks. We've got a lot of big decision points coming up, and it all kind of starts this week uh, with the Fed's uh, announcement. So we'll keep an eye on that, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it next week. Okay, switching gears here a little bit. Let's explore the Internet of Everything. But before we, we go any further, you, you might want to cue that music um, to Hanna-Barbera's uh, space-age cartoon, The Jetsons. Uh, I'm going to do my best rendition here. The Jetsons. <laughs> the Internet of Everything, a.k.a. the Internet of Things, seems to be bringing the world closer to a reality where your refrigerator can order groceries, your smartphone can start your car, and tattoos only show when you want them to be seen. Uh, two of the keys to connecting everyday things to each other uh, and to the internet are radio frequency identification, or RFID chips, and near-field communication, NFC systems. Uh, RFID chips are all around us. Company use them to, companies use them to manage inventories, farmers use them to track livestock, and in Boston, commuters use 3D printed chip embedded rings to pay for mass transit. Uh, if you've traveled overseas recently, you've probably used an RFID chip. Uh, newer American passports have chips embedded to make it easier for Homeland Security to read them. In addition, Countless smart credit cards, which rely on chips and PIN codes, um, are standard across most of Europe and South America and Asia. As a result, uh, if you've traveled abroad, many Americans who try to use their traditional magnetic stripe credit cards and that require signatures sometimes face challenges when trying to pay for goods. NFC is a short-range wireless communication technology that may be best known for making it easier to pay for things with your smartphone or tablet. Uh, according to VentureBeat, an online magazine that focuses on the role of technology in daily life, one of the most powerful applications of NFC technology may be tag writing and reading. How does it work? Well, let, let's imagine this. When you arrive home, you hold your phone up to the NFC tag embedded in the door. This will turn the electronic lock opening the doors, but it will also switch your phones to home mode. Uh, enabling it to use your home Wi-Fi network and launch an app that connects your home server and turns on the lights. Uh, <laughs> heading into the kitchen, you might then put your tablet next to the stove and it begins cooking the evening meal. The NFC tags in the tablet and the stovetop recognize each other and the tablet starts up the recipe app and instructions on cooking the ice on the bedside table and uh, the proximity to another tag might bring up the clock alarm app. Kind of a, kind of a cool scenario there. Uh, just think, someday the Internet of Everything can include a Jetson-style flying car. All right, here's our weekly focus and think about it, our weekly quote. This is from John Steinbeck, uh, the American writer. It says, ideas are like rabbits. You get a couple and learn how to handle them, and then pretty soon you have dozens. Yeah, it helps if I unmute myself. <laughs> do those uh, we've been talking on every show about quantitative easing since, it seems like forever, I think since we've come back to do these podcasts. 
I get the feeling it's a little bit like when the uh, when your parents take away your credit card when you're in college. That's just the feeling I'm getting, right? That the, the markets are kind of responding like, oh, don't cut off easy money. Is it as simple as that? You know, there's an element to the simple money conversation and to the, you know, print, we're printing money, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But it goes a little bit deeper than easy money. It, it really gets down to the fundamentals of your economics classes that you took back in college, probably. You probably had to take one required uh, economics class. And it's this idea of supply and demand. Uh, what the what the Fed is doing, and we haven't really dug into this on this show very much, but what the Fed is doing is they're going out and they're actually buying uh, treasury bonds in the open market. So they're they're like you or I if we wanted to go out and buy treasury bonds, and because they're buying so many treasury bonds, uh, they're really creating a lot of cash into the system, and so they're artificially driving down supply. Uh, which is increasing demand, and because there's uh, you know supply has been reduced by their their purchasing of bonds, uh, that also means that interest rates must be more competitive. Um, and so when they pull their money out, when they reduce supply, uh, that's where the question mark comes. Uh, what happens then in a traditional supply and demand economy? What happens then? Uh, what happens to the underlying interest rates? What happens to uh, volatility of prices, uh, that's a real question. And like I mentioned, there's all different kinds of schools of thought. Some people think it's going to completely blow everything up. Other people think that it's uh, no big deal. We'll see. Yeah. It, it's, is it a little bit of uncharted? Has, has there, is there some history that we can look back to on this and say, oh, in the past, or is this a brand new program that the first time they've tried? Uh, yeah, yeah, no. So they've been doing quantitative easing for uh, quite some time now, since about 2009, uh, 2010. Um, but we haven't. I don't know, and I don't know. I'm not an expert on quantitative easing and yeah. Keynesian uh, monetary policy. But I, I think that it's pretty uncharted territory okay. for the, the scope and amount. 2.7 trillion dollars, Jim. That's a lot of money. Yeah, That's a lot of money to infuse into the economy. You and I could both retire on that. That would. Yeah. Be <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I can say uh, when you talked about NFC, I can say and and you know chips. I can I can say that I when I went to Europe this last spring, I took my mom to Europe and. I actually, if you're a U.S. traveler going overseas, you can call the credit card companies here in the United States, and they'll ship you new cards that have the, the right chips in them. So when you get overseas, you can do those. And that is really common there, that we're used to swiping here, and over there you really want to tap to, uh, to, you know, to charge. There are, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft on the Windows phone has an NFC platform that's available, and Microsoft's driving that direction as well with NFC. Interesting enough, in the Apple announcement this week, they're moving away from NFC. So it will be interesting to see what happens in that. We, we, as you outline the future, I think it looks great from a tech standpoint. But we do have competing companies that are trying to do make sure you're on their platform, right, doing those. And so I don't know if all of those, uh, you know, all the tech specs necessarily have been worked out in a way that we've definitely landed on. RFID for sure, that's kind of become an industry standard and tons of companies use that from tagging uh, their products as they leave the warehouse to things coming in you know, your own house. I think that's kind of the future as well. So you can do an inventory of what's in your home. RFID is very strong and a lot of folks are using that. The cost of those little tags has come way down. Um, so I think that's great. NFC, still some questions whether that's going to actually be the standard at the end of the day. So I think some good stuff. Andrew, thanks for bringing, you know, we kind of, this is the kind of the fin financial tech podcast and I appreciate you bringing 
a little bit of tech into it as we do it each and every week. So I appreciate that. If you're new to podcasting and you're looking for an easy way to do it, uh, we actually have two two easy ways to get that done. One is you can get an account out at Stitcher, Stitcher.com, available on, on any browser, Android, iPhone as well. Uh, even in the Windows Phone space, you can uh, at Stitcher.com you can create an account and then set Financial Tech as one of those podcasts that you want to listen to every week. You don't have to search for it after that. Just open up Stitcher and hit play, and we will be there for you each and every week. We're also available here in the United States on iHeartRadio. So maybe you've, you're using the iHeartRadio, and you can go out to iHeartRadio.com and subscribe out there as well. Just search Financial Tech. And uh, it will be there for you, and you can listen to this each and every week. Be sure to visit Guide Rock Capital out at guiderockcapital.com. Follow Andrew on Twitter. He's just Andrew. Uh, he is just at Andrew D. Hunt, and get all the show notes out at theaverageguy.tv. Now, Andrew and I say thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you next week, I think. I'm on the road a little bit, so hopefully we can pull that off. And remember, be smart about your investing. GuideRock Capital Management, Inc., or GuideRock, is a registered investment advisor that is registered with the state of Nebraska and located in Omaha, Nebraska. GuideRock and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration requirements imposed upon investment advisors in the states in which they maintain clients. GuideRock may only transact business in those states in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. Important information describing GuideRock's business operations, services, and fees can be viewed on the SEC's website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. GuideRock will provide Form ADV Part 2, which serves as the firm's disclosure document to all clients. Copies of Form ADV Part 2 are also available to interested parties upon request. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No current or prospective clients should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product made reference to directly or indirectly on this video, website, or indirectly via hyperlink or any affiliated third-party website will be profitable or equal to past performance levels.